Hello, everybody, and welcome to Seeking Truth. This is our very first session of a new year, and we're going to start out with just discussing why even study the Bible? Why, why, why even study the Bible? I have studied it formally for 23 years now in a formal Bible study every year, and I couldn't be without it because once you start studying God's Word, you see that it is inexhaustible, and you hunger for it, and you thirst for it, and... Um, I can't be without it now. And uh, we just said, wow, I'm glad summer's over and we're back in the Word, really in the Word. Why? It helps me be a better wife, a better mom, a better friend, a better person. But it also helps me go vertical. It helps me be connected to God the Father. And I'll try to explain what I mean by that. Um, this Word is a living Word. It's like no other Word and in the very first sentence of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's God the Father. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So already we have two persons of the Trinity. They didn't even know about a Trinity. There was no doctrine in the Trinity. But God the Father is creating, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. And God said... God spoke the word. The breath of God was used to speak a word. And that word is Jesus Christ. So all three are in the first sentence of the Bible. And God said, what did he say? God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God speaks a word. God said a word. And there was light. The word is the light of the world. The word is Jesus Christ. And he said in John's gospel, I am the light of the world. He is the father's word from before the beginning of time. And the Greek for word is logos. Jesus is God's logos, which is the cosmic mediator between God and the world, who is the personification of God's truth and wisdom. And through the word, God created all things. And we say that every Sunday in our Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, and born of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made. He's uncreated. He's consubstantial to the Father by whom all things were made. All things are made through God's word. The word is Jesus Christ, who for us men... And for our salvation came down from heaven. For us. For our salvation. He came down from heaven. And made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And John says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Full of grace and truth again. Jesus is full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So Jesus came to make the Father known to us. He's the face of God for us. He's the Word, Jesus. In order to glorify the Father, that's all he ever wanted, was to glorify his Father in all things. And so he was perfectly obedient in all things, even to death on a cross, for us and our salvation. 
He conquered death, and he opened a way back, a way back to the Father for all mankind. And when he says, I am the gate, the gate to what? The gate back to the Father. And when he says, I'm the light, the light of what? He's the light that illuminates the path back to the Father. And he says, I'm the way, the way to what? I'm the way back to the Father. Everything about Jesus is back to the Father, back to the Father, back to the Father. Always. Why? Because we had been banished. We were separated from God because of our sinful natures, original sin that we inherited from our first parents. Jesus, then, is the password. He's the password needed to open up God's computer and access the Father. Just type in J-E-S-U-S. And he's comforting his disciples, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going? He wants to take us back to the Father, always. And Thomas, you got to love Thomas. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way back to the Father. We don't know where you're going. We don't, where are you going? How can we know the way? And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You have seen him. You've seen me. You've seen him. And Philip says, Lord, oh, just show us the Father. and That would be enough for us. Just show us him. And Jesus answered, no, don't you know me, Philip? I've been walking with you every day for three years. Don't you know me? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus, God's word, can't wait to get back into fullest communion with his father. He can't wait to go back. And he says to Mary Magdalene, don't touch me. Don't get attached to this because I'm going back to my father and to your father. Because he made a way back. Now we're siblings with him. He's the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn son of all creation. And we're his brothers and sisters, and he's taken us back home to the Father. That's why he came. He says, don't worry, you guys. I won't leave you orphans. I promise. I will not leave you orphans. I'm going back to the Father, but I won't leave you orphans. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Wow. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Wow. And soon after, everything, everything started to make sense by the power of the spirit of truth. Remember on the cross in John's gospel, John 19, when he had finished the last cup, that hyssop on the branch, the fourth cup, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
Some translations say he gave over his spirit. His job as redeemer was done. It was finished. And he gives over the spirit. And who's standing at the foot of the cross getting that spirit breathed on him? Mary, his mother, spouse of the Holy Spirit, and John, the evangelist, who so understood the spirit of truth in his writing. Then we go to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus. It's all over. He's died. They've buried him. These guys are walking back home to Emmaus from Jerusalem. It's a good walk. Third guy starts walking with him, and he didn't, they said, don't you know? Don't you know what happened today? Have you not heard? Are you the, or do you live under a rock? Are you the only one that doesn't know what happened today in Jerusalem at Passover? And then he, Jesus, said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow to hear and to believe all that the prophets have declared. Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah should suffer all those things to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and the Torah, the five books of the Torah that Moses wrote, and all the prophets, the whole Old Testament, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Wow, that was a Bible study. That was a Bible study. Ooh. And what's happening in their chest? Their hearts are on fire. Their hearts are burning. They don't know why, but it's the spirit of truth, and things are making sense. Why? Because Jesus is the key. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is the hermeneutical key to unlock all our understanding of Scripture. He is the teacher. He is the key. He was there all along in the Old Testament, but they didn't see him yet. Jesus, key Jesus, unlocks all the hidden clues of God's revelation over hundreds and hundreds of years in the sacred scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit, who also wrote the Old Testament, by the way. What happens when Jesus breaks the bread with them? They don't know who he is yet. But then their eyes are opened. And they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, and he vanishes from their sight. Poof! He's gone. And they said to one another, we're in our hearts burning within us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us. And then when he sat down to break bread and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, it's the Holy Spirit himself who inspired the word, the word himself, Jesus Christ, present. They recognize him and the spirit and the word together always put us in communion with the Father. Always, always. That's why their hearts are burning. And what do they do immediately? Immediately. They run. They run back to Jerusalem. They're in Emmaus. It's night. Night's coming. And they run all the way back to Jerusalem because they got to tell someone. Because their hearts are burning. So they get up that same hour and head to Jerusalem. And they want to tell how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they run and tell. Other people in the scriptures have to run and tell. When you've encountered the living Jesus Christ in your own life, you've got to tell someone. What's that Samaritan woman do at the well with her water jar? She encounters Jesus. She recognizes him. She leaves her jar at the well. He, the word, Jesus Christ, fills her with living water, the Holy Spirit. And she's a new creation. She's a new water jar, a new vessel of the Spirit. She leaves her old self at the well, that old water jug, and she runs and does what? Tells everybody in the village of Samaria. Everyone she runs and tells. 
You'll never believe what happened today. You'll never believe who I met. I encountered, uh, I've encountered the living God. He has living water. And what happens to her? She's martyred. She's cut up into little pieces and put in the bottom of a well in Samaria. She gives her life. Her name is St. Fotina. She couldn't contain herself. Back to Emmaus, opening the word with them on the road led to fullest recognition of him in the Eucharistic meal that they shared. And it's just like what happens to us at Mass. This is what happens at Catholic Mass. First, we have the liturgy of the word, and our hearts are burning in us, especially after you take Bible study and you start learning and making the connections. You say, Why did the church pair this Old Testament reading with this New Testament? What is the connection? What's the psalm today? And your heart starts burning. And then we have the liturgy of the Eucharist. De Verbum at number 21 says the church has always venerated the divine scripture just as she venerates the body of the Lord. The scripture and the Eucharist, both venerated. We never should toss a Bible across the room or throw it on the floor. It's, it's as sacred as the Eucharist, especially since in the sacred liturgy, she unceasingly receives and offers to the faithful the bread of life from both the table of both God's word and the table of Christ's body. They're both to be venerated. They're both to be revered. The church offers to the faithful the bread of life from both the table of God's word and his body. And our heart starts burning. And then we recognize him in the Eucharist. And we take him, and he comes inside of us. And we're in communion with the Jesus in the Eucharist by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they take us back to the Father. So I like to sit after communion with my hands in my little tent on the pew, and I like to go into my zone with the Word and the Holy Spirit that take me back to the Father in fullest communion, all three. It's a theophany of sorts. Both are Jesus. How does this happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit is this done, always. So we have the liturgy of the Word. Who's the Word? The Word is Jesus. And then we, we remember that Jesus has two natures, right? He's fully human, and he's fully divine. Well, so it is with the word. There's two natures to the word. It's fully humanly recorded by human people, but it is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the word itself has a double nature, a dual nature, divine and human. Like this human author, St. Matthew, in this Caravaggio, uh, is being inspired by the Holy Spirit, a human author inspired by the Spirit to record what the Lord wants him to record. Verbum, de verbum number 11, those divinely revealed realities which are contained and presented in the sacred scripture have been committed to writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For Holy Mother Church, relying on the belief of the apostles, holds that the books of both the Old and New Testament in their entirety, with all their parts, are sacred and canonical because written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have God as their author and have been handed on as such to the church herself. Powerful word. In composing those sacred books, God chose men, and while employed by him, they made use of their powers and abilities so that with him, acting in them and through them, they, as true authors, consigned to writing everything and only those things which he wanted. So the Holy Spirit works through human authors, and inspired word is Jesus Christ, the living word. And then in the Eucharist, it's the same, a little different. We have bread made with human hands. We have wine made by humans. 
the grain of the field, the wheat was planted, it was harvested, it was ground. The nuns baked it into the wafers. And then the priest says, it's fruit of the vine and work of human hands, but it will become our spiritual drink. So the Eucharistic bread and wine are transformed into the divine flesh and blood of Christ himself. How is this done? How? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, always. It's called the epiclesis at Mass during the Eucharistic prayer when the priest invokes and calls down the power from on high, the Holy Spirit, to transubstantiate what was made of human hands into divine bread, bread of heaven, bread of life, blood. So he tells them, wait, wait, wait until you have been filled with power because we're going to need this power of the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of truth, for in him we live and move and have our being. He animates us. He is the spirit of truth. Now, our culture today doesn't like the word truth. There's no truth, people, right? You believe there's a truth, an absolute truth, really? Cool. Gotcha. Joseph Cardinal Radziger the dean of the College of Cardinals made a last public appearance at a mass at St. Peter's Basilica before going into the conclave to elect, uh, to, they needed a, a replacement for Pope John Paul II. So this is the very last time he goes into that conclave as a cardinal, and he will come out of that conclave as Pope number 265 successor to St. Peter. But he is asked to give the sermon at the Mass right before that conclave is to start. He had been the guardian of the doctrine of the faith for the past 24 years. And during that sermon, he warned the cardinals that the Catholic Church must not become prey to modern moral relativism or ideological trends. Continuing the theme of his studies, he warned again of the advance of anti-Catholic secularism, both outside and within the Catholic Church. And he said, a dictatorship of moral relativism is being formed, one that recognizes nothing as definitive truth, and that has its measure only the self and its desires. Whatever. Whatever. Your truth and my truth may not be the same. You have your truth. I have mine. Truth is in the eye of the beholder, right? You don't really believe that, that there's an absolute truth. But Pilate asked Jesus, so you're a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. And Jesus said to Pilate, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. So there is a truth, an absolute truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice, said Jesus Christ. So his words are truth. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? What is truth? God's word is truth. God's word is Jesus. If we're seeking truth, we're seeking Jesus. Truth has a name. Jesus is truth. Truth is unchanging. That's really comforting. Truth doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So why study the Bible? The spirit of truth inspired the word and helps the church to interpret the word in truth. God's word is an absolute plumb line of truth. What's a plumb line? 
It's a string with a plumb bob on it. <laughs> What's a plumb bob? A plumb bob is the weight that's pointed at the bottom and it's pulled to the center of the earth by gravity. And then it has a string on it and that string will make an absolute straight vertical. And it's a plumb line. It was an instrument used as far back as building the Egyptian pyramids. It gives you an absolute straight vertical. God's word is an absolute straight vertical plumb line of truth, straight to the Father. Through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a straight vertical, a straight plumb line of truth. And it takes a straight vertical to be in communion with the Trinity. That's what's so cool about it. That's why you're all here with this hunger. What do you notice about all these paintings of St. Therese of Avila? Okay, watch these paintings. There's a common couple items that are in all of these. See if you can find them. She always has the Holy Spirit speaking in her ear as she reads the Word of God, the Bible. She has her pen so she can take copious notes of her divine revelations because the Spirit and the Word are what take her straight vertical to the Father in her prayer life. The Spirit and the Word carry her straight vertical in communion with the whole Trinity. And this is a picture of that. This is a Bernini sculpture in Rome. And it is called The Ecstasy of St. Therese of Avila. And she is in the zone. She, she, it's like a theophany with the entire Trinity. Because when you read the Word of God, you have Jesus in your hand. It was inspired by the Ruha, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And it takes us straight into union with the Father. And Therese of Avila knew that. And so she's in deepest union with the Trinity here. And she's in ecstasy because it's the being swept up into the beatific vision of the Trinity. And she reached the highest degree of prayer. And through prayer, she obtained knowledge, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. She obtained knowledge of divine things, so much so that in 1970, Pope Paul VI named her the first woman doctor of the church. Mary had the same thing. The Holy Spirit overshadows her, her spouse, the Holy Spirit, and the word Jesus is made incarnate in her womb. So she's got Jesus, the Spirit, and it takes her straight vertical to be in a perfect theophany, a straight vertical with the Father and the entire Trinity. And that's why Mary can say, be it done unto me according to your word, by the power of your Spirit, Father. Whatever you say, your will be my will, Father. It's a theophany plus one. A theophany is in the Bible where we see Father, Son, and Spirit all lined up. They're few and far between. Mary's body becomes the tent of the meeting. This is where God will dwell with humanity. She's the new tent of the meeting. So why study the Bible? Because it has the potential to take a straight vertical, to be in communion with the entire Trinity. He wants to reveal himself to me. He wants to get intimate with me. He wants to uh, know me, and he wants me to know him. It's his love letter to me and to you and to you and to you. So why study the Bible? How could I not open up his love letter to me? How could I not open that up and know what he says, to know his mind and his heart and his thoughts and his ways? 
when I open up my Bible, his love explodes. And sometimes it's hard because it's truth. And sometimes I'm convicted in my heart of something I need to change or something I need to repent of or something I need to do. St. Therese of Benedicta, that's uh, Edith Stein, another Carmelite, was called the martyr of love. And she taught us that love and truth have an intrinsic relationship. They can't exist without the other. Love needs truth. Truth needs love to be authentic. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet by the name of Amos. And he said, I'm not a prophet. And God said, Amos, will you go give the people a, a message from me? He said, no, 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 I'm a shepherd. I, I, I tend sycamore trees. I'm not a prophet. And the Lord gave him a vision. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, Lord, I see a plumb line. See, said the Lord, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. Ooh. Go tell him that. And then the Lord God showed me a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, Lord, I see a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. You know when you get all that fruit at Costco? It looks so good and you're so hungry and it's all so ripe and beautiful and luscious. You take it home and you put it out for the family. A couple days later, a couple days more. Another day, it's like, oh boy. We get one chance for the Lord to pass us by in this life. The end has come upon my people, Israel. I will never again pass them by. We get one chance. No one is getting out of here alive. We get one chance. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So were you good fruit or were you bad fruit? Or did you just sit there and rot? Because once we're taken off the vine, we don't have much time. We got to be consumed or we got to be used, right? Or we're going to rot. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. So it hurts a little bit when he prunes us. That's some of the truth of his word. He convicts. Ouch. But it's good because it helps us bear more fruit. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We must remain on the vine. If we get picked up, we have no source, no life source. Fruit taken off the vine has limited time to either be consumed or to rot. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What? Nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And what is it that he wants us to do? What am I supposed to do, Lord? Said Amos. What do you want me to do? This is my father's glory, that you bear much fruit, people, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Come after me. Follow me. Bear fruit in your life. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last. Not this kind. Stay connected to me. Stay in my word. I love this because it's a Russian icon of the risen Christ sitting on the tomb cover and he's, he, that spear that went in his side is growing a vine out of it, wrapping around the dead wood of the old cross. It's making a new tree of paradise with huge luscious grapes that he's squeezing into the Eucharistic 
chalice. This is fruit that will last. I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. There'll be lasting fruit. If you drink his blood, this Eucharistic wine is fruit that will last and help us last forever. I am a flower quickly fading. This is another way to say it. Peter says it this way. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. Peter's quoting Isaiah here. The word of the Lord endures forever. It's lasting. It's eternal. It's inexhaustible. We can't do anything without him. So why study the Bible? Because I'm a flower quickly fading. I personally have had cancer for the last 15 years. I've had 12 surgeries. I've had four different cancers removed from my body. I'm a flower quickly fading. Life's really short. We got to bear fruit while we can. We don't know when we'll take our last breath. Then Amos says, the time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. A famine, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Do you think we're in a famine of hearing the words of the Lord in our culture today? In America, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord? Because we're hearing a lot of words and a lot of different devices got a lot of words coming at us all the time. A lot of information, a lot of technology. We hear a lot of other words, but we're in a famine for hearing the truth, the word of the Lord. Kids come out of high school. I pick up my boys and like they're, they're all knocking into each other, walking in front of cars because they're checking their messages. They've had their phone off all day. It's dangerous. 25% of people surveyed cannot recall the last time their phone was not close by them. Today, half of the total U.S. population uses a smartphone. Within the first 15 minutes of waking up, four out of five smartphone owners are checking their phones within the first 15 minutes. 79% report having their phones on or near them for all but two hours of the waking day. Some people even take a bath with them. <laughs> and get the, <laughs> can't put it down for a bath. Are you kidding me? 84% say that the phone time is spent communicating by text or email or social media, but only 16% talking ear to ear. So most of it is texting. 49% of respondents say they feel connected. They feel connected when they're texting. Connected to what? Connected to a lot of other contexts that the needs feel connected to. I watched my son doing this at home the other night, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, who are, you, what is, who are you talking to? But we as humans have a need to feel connected. We have a need to feel connected. So the connection that we're really desiring, that we're really thirsting for, is the connection to the Father through the Word and the Spirit. And that's what the Word of God helps us do, to have a true connection, a real connection, a connection of truth breathed by the Spirit of God in the Word of God, taking a straight vertical to the Father in full communion with the Trinity. And Amos ends with this last line, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst for God's Word. 
they will faint. They will fall over. They'll drop over like flies because of thirst for God's word. We're thirsting for the words of the Lord. We're thirsting for truth. And he is thirsting for us. Let him quench your thirst this year by the power of his inexhaustible word of life, the fountain of life that's contained in that Bible. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, you are the living word. We praise and thank you. Holy Spirit, you inspired the word. We praise and thank you both for taking us straight back to the Father. May we find in you, Jesus, our true teacher this year. Holy Spirit, would you be our divine inspiration and the convictor of our hearts as we study your powerful word. Will you take us, please, back home into communion with your Father. And we ask this through Mary, our mother. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.